Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Dave is an exceptional salesperson. He is a high energy, positive and hugely driven individual. This combination of traits produced consistently excellent results. He is a strong, he has a strong emotional intelligence and is quickly able to build rapport with clients. This is just one of the many recommendations. This one in particular comes from the managing director of car gurus. So, you know, my guest is the shit. Dave, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Never had an intro before, but I like that one. <laughs> it, it was easy. I just pulled it from, went to your, one of the several recommendations on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, okay. with, with all podcast guests, I always go back to the very beginning. I'm going to make an assumption here that you grew up in Monkstown. Yeah. Is that correct? Correct. Excellent. Uh, yeah, was, I grew up in Bray, till I, in Bray, Wicklow, until I was around 16 and then moved to Monkstown. Okay. Well, you could pick either of those locations. What was life like growing up in Bray or Monkstown? And do you have a favorite memory? Yeah, um, Bray, I suppose. Uh, yeah, grew up in Bray. We were kind of on the outskirts of Bray Town. So, um, yeah, kind of middle of nowhere, you know, it was kind of a, a house near Forest and not many, no neighbors or anything. So, a lot of it was kind of uh, keeping yourself occupied. I had brothers and sisters, but we were all very much into different things. And so, um, you know, being comfortable in my own company was something I learned from a very early age and I needed to find stuff to entertain myself. So, I suppose, you know, creativity and, and keeping myself. Uh, you know, entertained is something I've developed from very early stage and it's something, you know, with the lockdown and so on, I've been forced to naturally kind of uh, revisit. And yeah, I suppose some of those things are very attributable to sales as well. And so, um, yeah, growing up in Bray was great before moving up to the big smoke. And then, um, yeah, dare I say the big smoke. Sorry, it's like I'm not from Dublin. Like, I'm, you know, I'm from Dublin. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Monkstown is a beautiful part of Dublin, though. I've I've, I've spent a, a couple of evenings there at a restaurant in Monkstown. Beautiful place. Um, influences as a child. Who would you say you were most influenced by as a as a young Dave? Yeah, I know it's probably a bit, of a bit of a cliche, but I, I I'd say my parents. Like you know, my I was I'm, I'm hugely into sports, and so you know, I think for every young lad kind of growing up who likes sports, you kind of idolize all these different kind of sports heroes and. Um, my dad, I, I played a lot of rugby growing up and my dad, you know, was a bit of a, I suppose, rugby legend, what I say from like the seventies going uh, in, in school I went to. And, and so he was a bit of a, I suppose, the, the idol from a sports standpoint, but then from a business standpoint, my mom uh, ran her own interior design company. And I just have all these kind of big standout memories of being in the car with her and her just talking to suppliers and going like, you know, taking no shit and going right through them. And, you know, after she's had a tough call, she, you know, I remember her turning to me and she's saying like, that's how you handle someone who's like messing you around or like whenever you're getting into business, make sure people don't do these type of things to screw you over and so on. So I suppose, yeah, for any kind of uh, aspirational young lad looking at like sports and looking at maybe like business, which is something I was interested in from a very young age, I was lucky enough to have two great people to look up to in the house. You mentioned business from a young age. You were the general manager of a company in Dublin for, what, seven years at one yeah. time. What did that role teach you? Did you get any lessons learned that you're applying to your day today or your life today? Um, yeah, so that was a that was like an entertainment company that we were, it started off as kind of promoting nights for like college students and, uh, you know, uh, like secondary school 
students who were like maybe finished exams we would organize you know parties for them in certain clubs uh, around Dublin and that naturally developed into more of a kind of a student offering in the form of uh, it could have been organized holidays or you know student discounts with locals uh, like you know local retailers and so on but to answer your question what were some of the big learnings yeah I think the, the biggest learnings that I had was um, I kind of went into a bit of a, a leadership position there and what was originally just some you know kind of friends starting this company the company grew quite a bit and we naturally had more people join who were a little, a little bit younger. And I suppose I still treated everyone as if they were my really good mates and, I, and I had this expectation that everyone will pull their weight. But as yeah. you naturally go into more of a leadership position, you cannot be necessarily everyone's mate and they're really sure. good mate. You need to be able to differentiate between, hey, no, you are the leader and you might need to haul ass when you need to and you need to hold others accountable to get make things happen. So yeah, there, that was probably the biggest learning about knowing that just because you're working in a fun environment doesn't mean like um you know you have to be everyone's mate because by doing that you might not hold them accountable you know might not give them honest feedback and vice versa as well it's, it's a great lesson strangely enough i don't think it was at your nights but i met my girlfriend at one of the other uh nightclub events that was on at that time and linking it back to you being in amsterdam years later i was in amsterdam and started texting her from a pub in amsterdam and then we started going out with each other Okay, um, there you go. So life works in weird ways. Yeah. Um, you, but you 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 left uh, the signature group, as I think is what, what you yeah. called it, and you started as an account executive. That's a strange switch. GM to AE in at the time ad role, and you've worked your way up to head of sales development at Amplitude. Why such a 180 degree flip? Yeah, um, like the signature group was, was great fun. Like, you know, we were... Uh, uh, very scrappy kind of startup like you know organizing like fun events social events uh, working in an industry like the like the the hospitality industry specifically like the nightclub industry in dublin and so on it's a very overpopulated place and it's really doggy dog and um you know the idea of of kind of waiting up till 3 a.m to get a read on how, what the take was like in a nightclub i didn't see that as being sustainable and and it you know it was it was shit cool when i was a when I was a college student, I loved it, but, but as I was getting a little bit older and, you know, I needed to look at the five years ahead, 10 years ahead, I didn't see myself, uh, you know, like main, holding on in that industry. And yeah. so I was naturally looking for the next step into something. Um, I know everyone says, oh, I, you know, why do you get into sales? And they're like, oh, I want to you know, help people and so on. Um, I did a, a master's degree in management consultancy the reason that i did that was because i like solving problems um not only do i like solving problems i like building things to solve problems and what i realized pretty soon on not pretty soon on but towards like the second half of that degree was a lot of the the people who i was doing the course with were looking at managing consultancy roles you know whether it was in one of the big four or accenture and so on and i and i you know interviewed in two of those places and i realized these problems that were there to be solved it would take, you know, maybe two to three years to solve problems, whether it was like developing a whole, you know, a, a big restructuring of the roading system in Ireland or something to solve a problem like, or solving a banking issue that will take three years to solve these like really long, prolonged problems to solve. I was like, fuck, no, that's like, that's something I really don't, don't want to do. So I realized, you know, when I wanted to solve problems, I like doing it in a far more of a transactional sense, you know, and when I looked at the things that I've worked on over the years, whether it was like, you know, 
working at festivals, selling uh, wristbands or anything like that. I love the transactional side of it. I love the like, hey, this person needs something. I have something, sell it, go. And so um, AdRoll had just opened their doors in Dublin and a really good friend of mine who had worked in Google for a few years was jumping ship over to there. And he said that they needed some entry-level salespeople to go in there. And, and so, you know, tech sales was still at a pretty early stage in Ireland back in 2013, 2014. You had Google, you had Facebook, you had IBM and so on. But these kind of, the, the, the number of, early stage companies that were setting up shop in Dublin were, were was still not that mature and so it was a bit of a risk you know it, it was one of those things that you tell your family and your, your parents hey I'm interviewing for this sales role in this company and they're like, like does this company even exist there's no address for it you know like and stuff like that but hey look did the interviews um I I also like you know got offered a job and for a management consultancy role in the same week as getting a uh, an entry-level SDR role at AdRoll and I took the SDR uh, role, the ad role, and it was like definitely the best call I ever uh, made because it could have been very different if I went the other way. Um, so yeah, that's hopefully a bit more context. For sure. And you've, you've, you've said you spent some time as an SDR AE, you've worked your way up into leadership roles. Focusing on the bottom of that SDR AE um, involves a lot of prospecting and a lot of people don't hit their target. I guess what I'm trying to say here is there's a hell of a lot of prospecting um, I know it myself making 50, 60 dials a day uh, and you can't stop prospecting because then your pipeline is not full and you want to hit your target. What would you say to anyone who's considering getting into sales, uh, like advice in terms of beware of this, um, you're going to have to do this, let go of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest shift that we've seen probably in the last 10 years has been um, about the, the power shift between the buyer and the seller now. What I mean by that is um, the, the power is now completely in the hands of the buyer. And they have a, 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 such a vast amount of data at their fingertips to base a decision of whether to purchase a product or not on. And th those sellers that are really successful are those who acknowledge that power shift and do what they can to you know, connect with buyers on their terms. And the way that they do that is really mapping out the, the buyer journey, whether it's, you know, they're at the awareness stage, the consideration stage, the selection stage, or, you know, the, the decision stage, sorry. Um, and, and engaging with them in the right manner. Like this kind of hammering out like calls right now and saying, hey, this is our product, you've got to know about it. This, that's a very inward out approach. And that inward out approach doesn't cut it anymore. It needs to be entirely outward in, like acknowledging like, what does, like, what does the buyer need? When do they need it? And, and so what is the best way for me to engage with them with the right kind of material or the right kind of information so that the buyer feels like they're in control of the process while subtly we're, we're actually still in control. So to summarize that, what would my advice be for any person getting into sales now? It's don't entirely focus on the, on the great things that you or your product can do for your buyer. Really focus on, obsess about your buyer, like speak their language speak about like talk about their kpis that are in their world like really like you should kind of envisage that you can perform you, you should you should know their roles so well and the challenges and goals that they're, they're faced with so well that you could actually perform one day in their seat um so that is something i would say obsess about the buyer you mentioned a buyer's journey um awareness consideration decision i'm I, I'm in agreement with you here because I, I saw a stat come out recently that said G2.com, you know, competitor of like Sixth Sense, 
yeah. that it was one of the top 10 most visited sites globally, which which just says something that, you know, buyers are, are in control. Um, you left Amplitude last year or the yeah. year before to start Land and Expand. Looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've done courses with Force Management, Winning by Design, Medic. I'm sure you've done others. Why did you leave Amplitude to start Land and Expand? And the second part of that is, what did you think Land and Expand could do differently having been through some of the other sales methodologies? Yeah. Okay. So I suppose the reason I left was it was twofold. Um, One, I was, you know, coming up to a kind of four-year anniversary at Amplitude anyway. And so... Um, I was, I was in a role where I, I really enjoyed kind of man, managing the, the SDRs, but I wanted to grow into that kind of a, a different role into a sales leadership role, but the, there was nothing going to be kind of opening up for, uh, the next 12 months. And so I never wanted to get to a point where I'd be dragging my feet at all in amplitude, but I knew I was kind of, you know, it, it was kind of going to happen within the next nine months if I was still in the same role. For me, I just need to be in a place where I'm very much challenged and the learning curve is very steep. And it just wasn't so steep for me at that moment in time. Also, my wife and I, we were planning to return to Ireland at the end of last year. And so I was kind of at this point in time in, in the middle mid of last year where we were like aligned that, hey, we're probably going to return to Ireland at the end of the year. I'm at this point in Adro where, you know, I've been with the company uh, a pretty long time in amplitude terms. So... I've, I've always had this intrinsic motivation to try something myself. I think, uh, I think a lot of reason people get into business is to, to try and be an entrepreneur, but um, I'd never had the stones to actually do it. And I was like, I'm never going to have this window of opportunity again. So what I did was left Amplitude and really tried to think about, hey, like what, what are the big learnings I've had working with AdRoll and Amplitude over the last few years? Um, and what are, the, what are the challenges that companies who are trying to go through similar growth what are they faced with? And the two things I saw and having experienced these that they're most often faced with is one, uh, being under pressure to just get as many bums on seats to hit this revenue number that they have. Okay. And, and, the, ch- and the challenges that come with that six months in, nine months in after hiring some incorrect people. Okay. And then the second thing was really developing a, a kind of a, hun- a, a hunter mentality amongst sales reps like really kind of going out and prospecting and outreaching and having consistency and persistence about that outreach effort. I'd I, I like to believe that the two environments I um, went through at, at AdRoll and Amplitude, we did a really good job of that. And I found that I was kind of during the time of the middle of last year, I was, you know, in the evenings, I was kind of having talks with a couple of companies here in Amsterdam. And I found that some of the, some of the learnings that I just taken for granted over the last few years turned out to kind of be a few golden nuggets for a few companies. So I thought, hey, there could be something in this. And so I started Land and Expand. Uh, I couldn't believe the URL was still available, but I, I, anyway, I took it. It's a solid URL. And, yeah, and it's, so people know what it is if you're in the space, right? Uh, and, um, but yeah, so it's just me at the moment. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working with a number of clients. So I have three clients at the moment. And, and the, what I'm kind of doing with them, it's kind of, it's an array of things. It's from building out a sales motion from the ground up, like defining ICPs to the target buyer personas, to defining their trigger events, for example, building out sequencing messaging for them, identifying the best sales tools out there to help them get their message out to the right people uh, at the right time, uh, at the right kind of volume. And then once we get those kind of prospects in, it could be, you know, 
I have one client where I'm solely doing a lot of work around discovery, making sure that we're qualifying in and out the right kind of conversations. And then I have another client where I'm simply building out their, their hiring process, like bringing a kind of a formula to how they hire uh, sales reps and make, make sure that there's a kind of a bit of a science to how they're hiring and not just doing it based on how he was sound or she was great, you know, making sure that there's a bit of a formula in place to bring the right kind of folks on. Um, so that was a bit of a long-winded answer, maybe to the first part of your question, but to the second one, um, yeah, I, I suppose the, yeah, I'm definitely taking all the things that I've learned from, uh, you know, force management, from medic and so on. Like I'm definitely leveraging some of those pieces, but the thing that I'm really trying to do a little bit different now is, and it kind of goes back to something I mentioned earlier on, it's the acknowledgement that we're in a new era now of bias. Um, yeah. And th that has been accelerated so much about what's happened in, in the last 12 months. As I mentioned before, the power is very much in the hands of the buyer. And so with that, I feel that there is a, a need for a more modern approach. And the, the ways that I see that, that modern approach being materialized is, is in the form of getting reps to really develop themselves, their, 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 their brand on LinkedIn as a trusted expert because buyers want to engage with people who know the ins and outs about their industry. They don't want to talk to someone who's just entry level and who's trying to remember a few words that they got from a training. You know, They want to be speaking to the legitimate person. And so as like reps and SDRs and sales leaders within companies, they can't just put all the onus on, on, on marketing to build a brand. They need to develop their own personal brands and develop that and, and develop and earn that status as a trusted expert so that when a buyer does respond and says, yeah, I'll speak to you, they know that they're like, this, this guy or girl's legit. This is the right person I should be speaking with. Um, so yeah. Outside of the big American tech companies that have a footprint in Europe, a lot of those you know, methodologies don't have a huge footprint in EMEA. Um, they're all, but any of the, you know, force management, winning by design, they're all based in America. Something I've noticed over the last couple of years is that, because I've spent a fair bit of time in America and I'm obviously from Ireland, that the Americans spend per head way more on education and they seem to think more loosely about it. You know, if you think of the Spanish, they're incredibly tight when it comes to spending on personal development. I don't know what it's like in Amsterdam, but my question is, knowing that you're focused on, you know, European SaaS startups, what are some of the challenges or objections that you've come up against over the last eight, nine months since you started Land and Expand that you didn't account or expect for? Honestly, honestly, Rian, this might sound strange, but there, like, there haven't been too many, to be perfectly honest, because I feel that pipeline is such an important thing that companies are pretty open to the idea of throwing money at it, you know, and, yeah. and just because there is an, like, when you look at the, there's a there's a great report brought out by um, Mark Robers, who's the, the former SVP at HubSpot, about the science of scaling, and he breaks it into three different stages. There's the there's the product market fit uh, stage, the go to market fit stage, and then the third is like really growing. It's called the growth and moat uh, stage, and you know for that early stage, which is the the trying to find the product market fit and entering into the go to market fit, the the go-to-market play, so to say, is win at all costs. Um, and a lot of the companies that I'm, I'm typically working with have that mentality, you know, and, and they, you know, they might have a bit of seed funding 
or they might have a, a bit of cash in the bank, but they're like, hey, win at all costs. Let's just, you know, you know, whatever the investment is, let's just try and do that just to get something going and getting some consistency going. So if there hasn't been too much resistance, uh, again, it's still early days. It might be very different, um, you know, in 12 months from now. But yeah, I think my, my experience working as an account executive, I know when I worked at Amplitude, I, I used to have to fly all over Europe and the, the cultural nuances around budget uh, and so on across Europe were very, very different. I remember going from, I remember being in Tel Aviv um, one day and being in St. Petersburg the next day. And it was just like, you know, pitching the same thing, asking for the same amount. And it was like, I was not, I was speaking a different language, but it was like speaking to someone from Mars and speaking to someone from, you know, Saturn. It was just like two different things. Mark Robridge, or I can't pronounce the second name, the guy from HubSpot, he's someone who, who, who I think has made one of the greatest ever plays ever, you know, starting as one of the first salespeople, working his way up to CRO and then selling and worth hundreds of millions now and still relatively young. Like I know a lot of the guys at Winning by Design and Sandler look up to him and somewhat envious of him that he's managed to, to exit as early as he has and now just sitting back enjoying life. Yeah, for, like for me, for me, honestly, I, I, it, it's funny. It took me, you know, seven, eight years to actually start reading sales books properly. I read the few over the last few years, but since going out on my own, it kind of, it, it, it really drove me to kind of learn as much as possible and read as many books as possible. And I have to say his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, is head and shoulders, in my opinion, above the rest. I, I, that's just me, to be honest, because I think it really, uh, it related a lot to my experiences, both at Adderall and Amplitude. And it also kind of gave me a few light bulb moments as well to when I drew back on those experiences and I was like, oh, that's why it didn't work or that's why it went really, really well. Um, so his book's phenomenal. It is. Uh, that was one of my questions. Is there any standout books or podcasts that you're listening to or reading at the moment? Uh, uh, books, his book, I honestly think uh, that, that is my favorite book, Sales Acceleration Form. I pick it up quite a lot um the i'm trying to think are there any others uh no that, that's probably the like the, the standout one there is a um i do help i, I so i do have like a couple of friends and maybe ex ex uh, colleagues as well who are looking at new roles and who are looking at new companies and a, a book that i will always kind of go back to to kind of make sure that i can consult and, and coach them in the best way is like the first 90 days it's a great book um, I'd recommend it to anyone who's looking at like you know, a new company or a new role. Um, but in terms of podcasts, no, to be honest with you, I, I try and, and, you know, I don't try and go too overboard. I'm consuming it all or else I'll kind of, uh, you know, I'll implode. I try and keep the podcast for the sports. Um, but something I am, I actually have been listening to quite a bit is David Cancel, who's the CEO of Drift. Uh, he does these 15 minutes uh, bite-sized podcasts. Uh, he does them every week and I find they're great because they're in all facets of sales and SaaS um, and he's also pretty fun and pretty uh, pretty kind of relaxed as well so uh, pretty relatable. Nice uh, let's take a 180 degree turn here I've got some questions having looked at some of your social profiles you mentioned that you're a dog fan you're a Chelsea fan uh, I know that you've traveled to watch Ireland play in football um, what's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know about you? One thing that, uh, to be honest, anyone who knows me really knows the ins and outs of me. There's absolutely nothing to hide. It's all out. Uh, I, 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 don't have a ba- I have a uh, first baby arriving in July, so like, nice. you know, not a whole lot. Like, not a whole lot of people kind of know about that. Uh, 
Well, I suppose like most people do, but um, yeah. Now well, I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Uh, to be honest, Chelsea. Screen. Chelsea football. Big Chelsea what, are your, what are your thoughts on the Super League? Uh, it's um, it's a disgrace. It's like it's, <laughs> and I'm absolutely delighted that all the teams have withdrawn, and I'm delighted that we are like second to withdraw behind Man City. Like the, seeing the 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 reaction from the fans across Europe over the last 48 hours, it's been unreal, and it's been like yeah. representative of like Braveheart. You know, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher just leading the roost. I thought it was, it got me really going. You know, and I'm there trying to explain it to my wife, and she's there like I couldn't give a shit. You know, you know, and trying to explain the like just the magnitude of it all but uh you know i think this is one of the things Rian, as well that you kind of miss from uh you know before covid it was like being in the office i knew that if i was in the office i'd be kind of arms linked with a few lads there just talking about it but now i'm just mashing my fingers against the phone trying to explain yeah. uh, how i feel about it gary neville was certainly passionate i watched a couple of clips of him if if your house <coughs> was burning down your wife is fine. I'm assuming you have a dog. That's fine as well. What one item would you save? Um, my guitar, probably. Even though I'm not playing it as much as I can, I, can, I, I would like to lately. I grab the guitar. What's your definition of success? Consciously, like content. Like, do you, do you mean I, I? I think if someone reaches a point where they're like they they they're fully aware, they're like I'm actually really happy and content with where I'm at. I think that's success because usually to, to be that balanced, you need to have a lot of things going successfully for you in your life. Um, yeah. And now that's not to say that those people, well, actually it is. I suppose those, those people who are constantly chasing things and who are always working towards the next thing. I don't think those people have a full grip on, on and a full satisfaction with their level of success. They're always chasing that next thing. So in my opinion, my definition of success is someone who can very comfortably stand there and consciously say i'm con really content with the way things are i like that answer you you talk about people constantly looking for the next thing where does your drive come from yeah i suppose my my drive comes from um like like i said earlier on like it's funny like building things like even though I don't, i'm not like a in any way like i'm not the most handy of men ever like i'm i i, I um not like an engineer or a developer or anything, but like I really like creating like a process or I really like creating like a project, for example, and owning that project. And once I start working on something and once I start getting validation from people, whether it's good or bad, where people are like, hey, this is really good. This is re really helped me. Or, hey, this is actually a bit of a miss. This isn't so good. Those two things, it's building something like a process or a project and getting validation on it. And um, those two things really, really motivate me. It was... Like coming into sales, I will, I won't say, I won't like beat around the bush on it. Is like the, the cash side of things was a big driver for me. I just love kind of that high volume, um, that high volume and knowing that high volume led to like more cash in my pocket. And like that was a big, big driver for me. Um, but when it, once I kind of started making some money that I was content with, um, I started realizing like, no, no, actually, I need to peel back the onion a bit more. What do I really enjoy doing? And it was, uh, like I said, building stuff and getting the validation for it. I've, I've always found the process as well way more enjoyable than the outcome and result. I'm all, I almost feel flat when complete. Yeah, 100%. Like the chase is better than the catch. You know, it's, 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 that's the kind of um, the mindset I have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Two more questions for you, yeah. Dave. Uh, COVID lifts. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to come back to Ireland at some point, but where would you like to go to if you could travel anywhere? If I could travel anywhere. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, who? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I'm kind of at the stage. I'm at the stage now where I think taking. Uh, sorry, this is a lot. Just give me a straight answer, Dave. You're probably wondering, but like you know, oh, you're taking, all right. taking into account like all the the, the the stuff going on in my life, you know, like you know, with a baby and, and on the way and so on. I think I just want a really kind of easy holiday in Greece or something on a Greek island and just kind of like lay out. Whilst if it was two years ago and you're asking me, I'd be like, you know, very basic of me, but I'd be like, oh, Bali or Thailand yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like this. Okay, final question. Imagine it's the end of the decade, so 2030. You're looking back. You've you've got potentially eight nine years under your belt at land and expand um you've got a new board potentially a second or third maybe you're back in dublin what would you like what would you like life to look like in 2030 looking back what do you mean like as in setup? as in if you're looking if, if it's 2030 now and you're looking back what would you like to look back and say oh, i accomplished that i did that what would you like your like to have looked like over the last decade if you're looking if you're to advance a decade from now yeah um I'd, li- I'd like to absolutely minimize any re- any regrets like i'm i'm doing like i'm doing land expand on my own right now like i'm 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 spinning so many plates at the moment right and there are uh, a, li- a couple of things that i'm like the biggest sorry shift in mindset when i was going out on my own was like i was really afraid to kind of deliver half-baked stuff or do things without full, fully being prepared all right whilst you know i'm sure you can relate to this is, is like when you do go out on your own, you actually need to say yes to as much as you can. And people will, will be pretty accept, accepting if, stu- if stuff you've prepared isn't absolutely A1 because they kind of acknowledge, hey, you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to do this on your own. So I would I definitely want to, would love to look back and say and minimize the, re- the regrets that I have and, and, and do as many things as possible. And if I say I'm going to do something like really, really, really do it and, and don't uh, you know, have this point in time, like in 2020, 2030, and look back and say, geez, I wish I did that. Or, or, you know, I wish I said yes to doing that. Or I wish I was more open to the idea of doing that. I really want to minimize those regrets. I love it. We'll end it there. Dave, thank you very cool. much for joining me today. Yeah, Reen, it was, it was great to meet you. And, you know, like I've been following your uh, interviews as well on, 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 on LinkedIn. I've really enjoyed them. Um, I, you did one there with... Um, Oh Jesus! I'm uh, Mason Alexander. I'm forgetting his name. Oh my God! Uh, 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 Andrew Lynch. Andrew Lynch. Andrew Lynch. Yeah, I know his younger brother quite well. But um, nice. uh, but yeah, he's someone I've kind of gotten to know a bit as well over the years as well. And so it's it's, it's great to see kind of um, people who I know kind of cropping up as well. And I look forward to following it more.